that really resonated with my mum not the actual graph but she was like but that's so many different wools she would need and that's a lot of colours and they've all changed and that's gone from blue to red that they are not they are not complementary colours you know she was going and it was until it was knitted I don't think she got it and then suddenly it was like oh climate is changing I love that oh my goodness hello there my name is Kit Rackley, my pronouns are they, them, and this is Coffee and Geography. The aim of the show is to get to know, explore and celebrate the diverse and intersectional range of people on this rock we call home and their love and passions of it. We'll find out why guests identify as geographers, and if they don't exactly, will have fun exploring all the myriad of ways that connects their life to geography. So, pour your favourite brew, get cosy and listen in. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPot. Off we go. Hello everyone and welcome. Today I'm again breaking the run of UK geography teachers but talking to someone who is certainly no less of a geographer. Someone who I had the immense pleasure of working with during a spell in the climate and energy science sector but definitely that was too brief so therefore I'm delighted to speak to her today. Dr Hannah Bloomfield, hello! Hello! Oh, it's good to see you again. It's so good to see you. Now, Hannah knows the area I'm in very, very well because she too, like me, attended the School of Environmental Sciences at the University of Stanglia. There she gained a degree in natural sciences and she realised that she was really interested in the renewable energy and climate change issues. Now, Hannah has had a few months travelling and then she was lucky enough to be offered a PhD place at Reading studying exactly those things. Still working in the Energy Meteorology Group at Reading four years later, forecasting renewable energy from days to decades ahead. Wow, yes, I remember all that stuff. And when Hannah's not, when Hannah's not working, she loves being outdoors, although not always for active things, and her dream day is curling up in the back garden with a book and a large cocktail. You don't have a cocktail on you right now, though, do you? I don't. I, I thought, as it's kind of nine in the morning, I thought I'd behave, and we've just got tea today. <laughs> what is your favourite cocktail, just out of interest? Do you have one? Yeah. Oh, I love an espresso martini. I know. Oh, you know, if you're going to do it, do it properly, right? Get something complicated, and I will admit, not very good at making them myself, but <laughs> <laughs> delicious. There you go. So perhaps we should have called this coffee and geography and cocktails. That actually has a nice kind of ring to it, although a bit of a tongue twister. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you actually drinking this May morning then, Hannah? Oh, well, this morning I've I've got a classic, you know, Twining's breakfast tea. But I made a recent discovery that, um, so my partner's just gone vegan. So we've got a lot of mysterious milks in the house. <sighs> And I discovered that if you buy the Alpro Barista almond milk and put it in your tea, it tastes like your tea is full of hobnobs. Um, <laughs> so that's now my life, feeling like I'm eating biscuits while I drink my tea. Oh, I'm going to have to try that. Yeah, we've we've done the same sort of thing at our house. We've we've gone like uh, we've shifted our diet towards a vegan one. So it's, it would be wrong to say we've got a vegan diet. And so we've we've switched mostly to oat milk. So I've got okay. oat milk in my tea. And yeah, you're right. The kind of the oat milks, the almond milks, they do have that bit of natural sweetness to them. And I really, really like it. And But now, unfortunately, the kids have gotten wind of it. 
and are like are now guzzling all of our oat milk rather than our, <laughs> the cow's milk which is meant to be for them but oh mm, right so whenever we meet up next time you're going to have to um demonstrate you're going to have to uh, provide me with a cuppa because i want to be drinking hobnobs and see what that tastes like <laughs> absolutely it's, it's been a lockdown revelation oh awesome so um you have been a little bit all over the place because we're going to talk about your sense of place first to start with so as as we've already mentioned in the in the intro uh you were in the norwich area for a while because you attended uh, the university of Stanglia. then you went down into reading and spent quite a bit of time there working with the folks at reading uni and now you've moved up to very very recently uh to north leeds in the headingley area so yeah you've and you've you've gone traveling a fair bit so your identity has probably there be, therefore been shaped by numerous places. So how how can we approach this? You you can talk about it however way you wish. Maybe you would just start with where you're from, then Norwich, then go in chronological order, or maybe you just want to go by your identity and take location by that. But how do you feel that your identity has been formed by the places that you've spent quite a bit of time in? Do you think, Hannah? Yeah, I think. I think I always, so I'm from Suffolk, so pretty close to East Anglia, you know, it's the county below. And when I went to university, I mean, UEA wasn't actually my first choice, but because I didn't get quite what I wanted in my A-levels, but it turned out to be the perfect choice because I think Norwich is still one of my favourite places. Exactly the same here. Norwich wasn't my first, UEA wasn't my first choice and yet the rest Mm. is history. (laughs) Yeah, it's just um, the campus itself, even though, you know, anyone who's been there, it's like Breeze Block City, right? It's got that that feel, but you, you really do grow to love it and the lake and everything. And um, for me, like Norwich just had everything. And the way I studied my degree course was really kind of flexible because I, I, I did, you said I did natural sciences, but that meant at UEA, you could just pick modules from anywhere. Um and I felt Norwich as a place was kind of like that, you know, it had this kind of city vibe, but also it was kind of like, it wasn't a big city. It had this kind of small town thing going on. So it, however you were feeling, Norwich had something for you. And I think that was kind of like my degree, really. I was able to, I was able to pick what I wanted to do and Norwich worked like that. And I, yeah, Norwich is having now, you know, lived in Reading and lived in Leeds. It's still my favorite place. Um, <laughs> Reading, Reading was a, I think it's, it's interesting, isn't it? There are different times of your life, you know, when you're doing different things. I think I have some kind of negative feelings towards when I first moved to Reading because I was starting my PhD and it was really hard. Like anyone who's done even an MSc or PhD degrees, they're really difficult, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like a commuter belt town, you know, and I felt like it didn't have as much identity. And I didn't, I think, have very much sense of what I wanted with my life. Or I was I was questioning if I'd made the wrong decision moving here, doing all these things, because Norwich was so wonderful. Um, but you know, as soon as as soon as the PhD was finished and all of that stress was kind of gone I I actually grew to like it quite a bit once you have time to get to know somewhere I think wherever you are can be really kind of nice yeah that's a kind of really interesting take do you think therefore is it because you're coming from Suffolk I guess we you have a kind of my ruralistic kind of feel to to your personality to your identity and that kind of so therefore Norwich kind of fit because you're right Norwich is this kind of sense that it's got everything a city has but it does still have that really strange rural community rural feel about it it's a bit strange 
Yeah, I think that's exactly it. It was um, where my like grandparents grew up it was really, really rural. Um, so I was very used to being like right out in the sticks and um, or, like East Anglia, you're always so close to the coast. And I hadn't really appreciated that compared to a lot of other places in the country. So yeah, you could true. just go to the beach all the time and loads of different, really beautiful bits of coast line all the way around East Anglia whereas um yeah a lot of other places like Reading and Leeds it's actually a good couple of hour drive to your nearest beach and it's not necessarily a a quiet nice one like around the East Anglian coast where you could just pretty much be alone on a beach if you wanted to at any time of year yeah and I'm not going to mention any now because I still want those secret spots like Holcomb everybody knows and they park for God knows how long to get into Holcomb Beach. Winterton, yeah. a little bit to the coast. But yeah, but there are some little sneaky areas where you can go to, which uh, yeah, I'm going to keep those to myself. I'll tell you after, Hannah. I'll tell you after. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, you've not long been in Leeds then, and and, um, and you're there with your fiancé, and, and uh, congratulations on your pending nuptials there. So how how is how are you fitting into Leeds so far? I mean, I know it's been a bit strange because of lockdowns and everything like that. You probably haven't been able to absorb yourself so much in, in the Leeds area for the moment. Yeah, it's a bit strange, actually, because I moved last March and it's been it's been a bit strange because I haven't really been anywhere. Cause, you know, we've been quite strict with the lockdown restrictions. We haven't really seen anyone, but um, I do run quite a bit. So I've been out in, in the local kind of countryside and things. And it's actually a lot more rural than I was expecting around the edges because we don't live in the centre. Mm. We live on we live a bit further out than Headingley. Um, so it's actually quite a lot of green space where we live really near a donkey sanctuary. That's Ooh. amazing. Um, I was just driving along one day and I was like, oh, hello. There's a lot of donkeys. <laughs> Wonderful. It, I, in the centre, it definitely has that very big city feel. It's the biggest place I've ever lived. And it's quite different. I My sense of direction is appalling. So I, I went in and was just like, oh, no, I, I don't know where I am. It's an absolute myth, isn't it, that geographers have a great sense of direction? <laughs> yeah have me a map and I might be able to do something but if you're just doing it based on feel no idea <laughs> excellent well actually we're going to move on to maps now you mentioned maps are you like me where you see any kind of map on on a wall on a post on a billboard you just walk past it you just like you're compelled to stop and look at it yeah absolutely I have a really visual brain I think I, I don't learn very easily from reading things but you can get so much information on a map yes. and it's it's really exciting actually if it's something you're not expecting to see on a map like Twitter's amazing for this you get these people who have made maps of I mean I don't know like, I can't think of a good example but it's like anything you can you can you can graphically represent it and oh it's so satisfying I think it sticks in your head better as well yeah. when you see something as a map yeah I I cannot like um traveling in the United States is a great example because at each or almost every rest area and when you're walking around in tourist areas is like there's usually like massive billboards full of text and writing to tell you about the history and everything like that and what goes on the Lewis and Clark trail is like one example of that but they don't really interest me as much as the map like just the map of closures due to wildfires or due to bear sightings or something like that you know I'm more interested in that kind of stuff like I'm absolutely right that visual kind of element yeah definitely and I love I also love kids maps you know like when you're especially when you're on holiday and like oh, yeah. you get these kind of 
I don't know, it's almost like here's your national park and you, then you might see a bear here. And it's just, you know, all the pictures and everything, I think it just brings it all to life. Oh, yeah. Team mm. map. <laughs> yes, and and like their Butlins and, and or even the Orton Towers one with all the rise and or or Chesterton or, or Pleasurewood Hills, all theme parks are available, not just those ones. Uh, <laughs> I've really had to do that while I'm doing this. Right, so what we're going to do, all right, we're going to have a bit of fun and we're going to do uh, a bit of a, a map quiz with you. So you say that you don't just like maps, maps. You like kind of um, fictional maps as well. I know how. People are going to picture these, I guess, in their heads because it's a podcast, but I'll put some links down to these maps in the descriptions, all right? So people want to do that. But let's see if we can do this by auditory only. Right. So this is how it's going to work. I'm going to describe aspects of the map and you're going to guess what you think the map is about. So I'll okay. try, I've tried to go for ones which are, I wouldn't say uh, the most famous, but ones which, which shouldn't be too difficult. So not, I'm not going to go for anything like really abstract that you probably won't know about. Are you up for this then? Bit of a challenge on oh, that one yeah. Right, so I'm Absolutely. going to play my quiz music. Okay, so the first one in Hannah is that the geology of this map is a little bit all over the place. It doesn't really tend to make sense because, for example, one of these places is almost like a peninsula at you know like a tibetan plateau peninsula surrounded by mountains on three sides right in almost in a square and uh this is a place where um it's very dangerous very hot and the all-seeing eye will be watching you do you know what that is oh 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 um the all-seeing eye are we um are we lord of the Ringsing? Yay! Yeah, absolutely. So that's a map of Middle Earth, and I was describing Mordor. <laughs> uh, I agree with you. It doesn't really make sense, does it? The geology there, like. Yeah, I mean, I tried to figure it out. Like, where's the tectonic shifts taking place, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> right. Okay. So this one, you've got uh, lots of woods and lots of uh, mountains and stuff. One of the woods is called the the Shuddering Woods. Ooh. So there's a bit of a hint for you. You have a bridge called Rock Bridge. There's a river called the Great River, the Frozen Lake. There's battlefields on this. Um, and there's a wasteland in the northwest called the Lantern Waste. To get to this place, you've got to go through a wardrobe. Oh, we're in Narnia. Yeah, Yay. that's right. So... Oh, there's a cherry tree right oh yeah the cherry tree is right in the middle of the map that's the that's pretty the only bit i remember to be honest right there's gonna be five of these here's number three okay this is loosely based on manhattan island but it's actually split up into uh, three large ones you've got uptown midtown and downtown um and it borders the queen's river on the left and the east river on the right um if you look up in the sky anywhere on this map you might see a beam of light with a distinct shape calling for help Oh, I don't think I know this one. Right, okay. And within this light is the shape of a creature, the Dark Knight. Ah, we're, we're in Batman world. Yeah. So this is Goth <laughs> Gotham City. Gotham City. I've got yeah. to use the proper words, haven't I? Batman fans are turning in their graves. I just called it <laughs> Batman World. Right. Okay. Oh. This one's going to be a bit. This one might be the trickiest of the five, right? So, it's based on a real location. It's in the Pacific Ocean, um, but it's got the name. Um, its English name is Cloud Island, 
but its uh, native name is Isla Nublar. And if you set foot on this, it'll be if, as if as though you've gone back in time, where large creatures roam free. This is a tricky one. Is this from Jurassic Park? Yes, yeah. you got it. Yeah. Right. Okay. And the last one, which I think is actually easier than the last one, uh, is this is based on North America, United States, but it's set in a dystopian future. The capital city is located roughly where modern-day Colorado is, um, and it's split up into a series of districts. Oh, um, was this Katniss Everdeen's Wonderful Hunger Games world? Yeah, that's the map of Pan Am. Wow. Pan Am. Wow, you did it. Oh, five that was out of five, Hannah. <laughs> I had to have a little bit of help with Batman World, I think. But um, <laughs> oh, it's funny as you're saying that, you know, because um, especially the Narnia one, I love it when you get a book and at the front you yes. open it and they've got a little map of the world you're going to get. And I'm like, I'm going to like this. Whatever's going to happen, I'm going to like this. That is good. <laughs> I, um, I missed a trick, really, because one of my favourite, favourite, favourite stories ever um, is his, his Dark Material series. So uh, Philip Pullman. And yeah, yeah, and I just love, I love kind of like comparing like all of the, the fan-based maps of Lyra's Oxford to modern day Oxford and, and I just I could spend hours just doing that kind of stuff and it's great isn't it my fiance used to work at Oxford and where he read them recently and he was like oh I was in the building next door to where Lyra went and you're like <laughs> oh research from Philip Pullman right that was a good comparison <laughs> I was going to have a backup um, map quiz which was which was um, a bit of a cheat really because it's not really a map well it's a it's a diagram of the galaxy and i was going to say as a galaxy it split up into four quadrants and a starship got flung out into the delta quadrant had to make it back to the alpha quadrant do you know what that one would have been is this star star trek yeah <laughs> <laughs> let's just do that just for there you go <laughs> yeah bonus point bonus <laughs> Well, okay. Everybody who has has their own um, bespoke quiz, I don't think you're going to top Hannah's six out of five there. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. Right. I, I kind of think it worked. I think it worked. So we've talked about maps then. Um, do you have a... Do you have a favourite map at all? I mean, you, you talked about Narnia there and, and when you get... So have you ever opened up a, a fictional book and thought, oh, this map, I could just spend more time looking at this map than actually reading the story? I think I potentially did that with Middle Earth, to be honest. Yeah. Um, because some of the Tolkien could be quite heavy, but the the maps itself are wonderful. Yeah, I actually like to look at the maps as I work back through, because you discover they mention these places when you're reading, and I find it hard to store it all in my head. You know, yeah. where are we? Where are these people? So I just keep flicking back and being like, oh yeah, okay, we know. Uh. It makes it feel like you're in on an inside joke when you understand the world and you read the book as well, I think. Definitely, 100%. In fact, I was just looking over at the bookcase here because we have a book all about the um, map of the Middle Earth. So it's, it's called the Middle Earth Atlas. And what the author has tried to do, has tried to explain the, the geology and the topography and everything such as that of Middle Earth, like to see if they can... And just like we said a bit earlier, it is a little bit tricky to a site like Mordor she basically came to the conclusion that um, that for Mordor you must 
uh, must have been created artificially. Like Sauron must have kind of done some magic and just lifted this wall of mountains around because there's no way that that could have formed naturally. So um, Sa- Sauron's just good at terraforming, right? He's got that. Yeah, He's... <laughs> necromancer and a terraformer. That's not a bad. That's not a bad CV, to be honest. I must admit. <laughs> what about a real life map? What would be your? Do you have? Do you have a, a certain place, or you've seen a, a map? an actual real representation of a, of a place which you like? Yeah, actually, like, after I finished my uh, degree, I went travelling for a little bit in my kind of, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And I went to Nepal, mm. and I have a I have a map, I guess it's their equivalent of OS map, just of the region that I went, because we, I went hiking, basically. Um, and on the map you know it's just like a yeah it's an os map but i have such fond memories associated with it because i think when you've been to a place and then you look at a map it kind of you can look at the map and just bring it all back to life like when you're looking at these steep contour lines and i'm like oh i remember climbing that hill it was really difficult (laughs) and just the views um but i think that's my favorite map my kind of annapurna nepal OS it's um very pretty I get it out sometimes when I'm feeling a Aww. bit nostalgic for the travel we, you could do um before 2020 I love the idea the concept of of a map being your emotional kind of anchor you know that 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 sounds yeah. that sings to me definitely <laughs> I think photos can't ever quite do it justice because whenever I try and take a photo of something I can't quite get it wide enough or it doesn't look right um, compared to how I'm viewing it but I think with the map I can kind of it helps me remember a bit what I was what I was seeing makes total sense and not everybody you know is is lucky enough to have that ability where they look at a map and they can visualize the landscape in their head I mean I'm I'm quite lucky that I can do that to an extent and you're right, especially when you've seen the place, you've visited, you've been there, you can you can definitely, definitely kind of close your eyes and that map just helps you to connect the dots that you and plug any bits of uh, memory that you might have might have lost from that particular particular trip or that particular visit. Do you have the same love for the maps that you create for your work? I wonder. Do, is that the favourite part of your <laughs> output? Or or is or do you because it's part of your work, you're like, not so much love for those ones um love for some of them I think I find it yeah I definitely find that bit the most satisfying bit making the like visual outputs of like you know where should we put the wind turbines where can we forecast it best for me that's really great I think I like the more so I've recently started looking at Africa and places that I, I don't know much about at all to be honest in terms of their energy or their meteorology or geography or just anything so I think when I make them for a region where I don't know anything about it that's much more interesting because um, I've spent like eight years looking at maps of Europe now with all these different energy things and I'm just like oh yeah I'm a bit done now <laughs> that's and, and Africa is you know it's such a, an amazing continent because there is so much going on in so many different parts of Africa you know and because obviously it's, it's a huge continent with so many different facets so many different countries we're doing all different things and and actually much much later it won't be for a while now but I'm really looking forward to chatting to um, Sebastian Stirl, um at VUB who who we know who does who, who we both know quite well who does well actually his work is almost in 
Northern Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa and, and all that kind of area where he's looking at renewable energy and promoting renewable energy and that and working with the with the local universities and local people and I'm really excited to talk to him about that and I don't think people listening realize so much about how progressive and how exciting the kind of renewable energy industry is picking up in that part of the world when I did this job and I worked to talk to you and talk to Sebastian people like that I was amazed of how much progress is being made and with just a little bit of support from from us here in the in the west to to kind of um, make sure we're not holding them back i'll tell you what they can really be having the forefront on the and that kind of stuff yeah absolutely it really surprised me as well because when when i started to look at places like kenya and senegal it's like actually you're developing your energy systems much more cleverly than we ever did it you know you've got all this rooftop solar and you've got these fantastic sites to put your wind turbines and things because you've got some really good geography that you can you can place them in it's yeah it's amazing and the companies be proactive as well that's one thing which i found really nice and started looking at it so um i have to talk about the weather <laughs> we know we both know weather and climate is different but there's a lot of people thinking, and, and I know I know the answer because of obviously my knowledge as well. But there's a lot of people thinking, Hannah, it's like, oh, like we have had such a lovely, lovely summer, or sorry, lovely spring. You know, April was very warm, and now it's got all cold and wizzly, like so much for climate change and things like that. But what would you say to kind of like, when you do you ever hear that discussion amongst your friends or with people you're just like oh here we go again kind of thing or do you shiver like me sometimes i say oh it's so cold it's like oh global warming <laughs> yeah no it's it's a really interesting conversation to have with people who who kind of don't get the weather and climate distinction i think cuz like you know we know weather is what is happening out the window and climate's what's been happening over a much longer period but uh, yeah, I think it, it's interesting. I like to throw the anecdotes out. I had some good conversations with my dad trying to remember from when he was young, really, really warm summers. Because that's kind of a counter argument, right? It used yeah. to be really warm as well in the past. Like this, this, this whole thing called climate variability, which is really hard to get people's head around. Because I think mm. we all have much better memory for what's just happened than for Recency what happened bias. a really long time ago. Yeah, yeah definitely. But yeah, I do cringe a little bit when you hear the, oh, but I had a frost in May, yeah. so there's no such thing as climate change. And you're like, oh, no. Which is why um, some work of, uh, I, I knew we wouldn't get through this conversation without mentioning, I'm so sorry, Hannah. <laughs> but this is why the work of your colleague, who's, whose office was just across the hall from you, um, Ed Hawkins, and his climate stripes work is so so um, important and so good for public engagement now you told me a bit earlier before we started recording but tell me again what has he done outside of his office with the climate stripes well they are they are on a canvas on the wall opposite his office <laughs> i think just as a kind of memory of yeah i did this there yeah. they are um, <laughs> no it's really good though i think they are a great visual tool very interestingly, I showed them to my mum, and my mum was kind of like, oh, right, okay. But then I showed um, one of our colleagues as well, Ellie Highwood at Reading, knitted the climate stripes. Oh. Um, she made like a scarf with them all on. 
And that really resonated with my mum, not the actual graph, but she was like, but that's so many different wools you would need. And that's a lot of colours and they've all changed. And that's gone from blue to red that they are not they are not complementary colours. You know, she was going and it was until it was knitted. I don't think she got it. And then suddenly it was like, oh, climate is changing. I love that. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I've seen so many creative outputs using the climate stripes. I mean, a lot of people have seen like the Tesla painted, but that's just basically mm -hmm. the climate stripes just put on something. But this is exactly I mean, we're, we're both also very, very keen in in education as well, you know, an outreach. Yeah. And we we've done and when we were both in, in Denmark, crikey, two years ago now. You know, we did that little um, workshop, didn't we, about climate, um, climate discussion, communication, education, and and oh, if that scarf and that wall, because I'm, I'm just thinking, because I've got right here, I'm just going to show Hannah everybody. I might take a photo and put it on Twitter so you can see. So, like, I've just um, showing Hannah my wife's uh, crochet Totoro, for example. And oh, hello, hello, Totoro. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, that was my Totoro impression, if you didn't know. <laughs> and um, yeah, so. And actually, my wife's only used three colours here, you know, the grey, the white and the and the black. And so then when you immediately thought, you know, and that's tricky enough as it is, just to put those three colours together. But yeah, and I'm, now I'm just picturing the climate. And if you not don't notice anyone listening, just just search climate stripes, you'll find them. It's so easy to find. Um, but yeah, now and then think about, right, if you were going to knit that into a scarf or crochet that into something, have a look, see how many different colours of wool you're going to need and whether you'll be able to find those different colours of wool. That's climate variability because every single year can be cooler, can be warmer. And then, but as you go through your crochet and your knitting, you're going to get more and more shades of red. I love that. Oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah, I think it was because we often think about outreach for younger people, like especially us, right? That's kind of a big part of what you do. But yeah. I just, I've never seen such a good way of engaging with a, an older woman basically who does a lot of knitting and she finally got it and yeah. I was like yeah we it's a underrepresented outreach community she suddenly <laughs> just understood um so that was fun yeah and I tell you what that's so so important and this is why one thing of course we know which has suffered a lot from this from the lockdowns and from the coronavirus pandemic is the is the creative arts and things like that and and the reason why we need the creative arts whether it's, you know, painting, whether it's photography, whether it's drama, what you know, whether it's, um, you know, whatever it is, music, we need those, not because it's just good for our souls, it's good for society, because they are different ways and methods of communicating information. Um, and when I was teaching in, in high school, I tried my very, very best to bring different elements of creative arts into the geography classroom. So I'd use, I'd use drama quite a lot because I, I have a second, you know, my su second subject especially was in drama. But I, I also did some artwork. We also did some some music as well. I agree. It's really important. And it's often skill sets that, like, I, I have very little creativity. So I find it really interesting to work people who do because you just get such a different interpretation on everything. And, you know, and you as a team at Reading who've worked on, you know, all the stuff that's helped to go into that. So we, and that's a very collaborative effort because you've got Reading, you've got, you know, the Met Office's data, you've got um, Berkeley Earth's data, all that kind of. And it's just lovely, isn't it, to see all that collaborative effort go viral in the public and then people putting their own creativity into it. That must give you so much satisfaction. 
Yeah, definitely. I think the Climate Stripes is a good example of how the public engagement really worked because you give us these apps and things where you can build one for your hometown um, or your state and you can really see how where you live has really changed in your lifetime or in your whole family's lifetime, right? So it's really interesting. Yeah. And noticed everybody, Hannah and I have been talking positively about climate change, not positively as in a good thing. We know it's not a good thing, but positively as in the way of looking at it the way of talking about it because i'm gonna i'm gonna give a shout out back to um i think it was episode three we had david alcock come on who's a geography teacher and he's he's doing um some research and stuff into things to do with hopeful geography and he takes exact and this this is the kind of thing he will be very interested in because this is a very positive creative hopeful way of looking into a very controversial depressing issue really yeah it's difficult right because it is a huge problem, like we all know that. But yeah. there are there is a positive way, I think, to talk about it that people want to take action in a positive way, um, rather than feeling bullied into it. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm I'm not gonna bully you now, Hannah, but I am gonna I am gonna get you to talk about something you might not be so excited because you say you're terrible at this thing, right? So we call this little segment where you've got you've got to spill the beans, Hannah, all right? Ah. And uh, you say that you're terrible, terrible at baking, but you're very good at eating other people's cakes and their and their stuff. So, okay, I want. Can you spill the beans? Has there ever been a time when you've had like a complete baking disaster? I mean, have you ever almost burnt down the house? Or <laughs> tell us anything in that respect. Oh, there's so many times that has <laughs> happened. No, so. My biggest baking disaster was actually during my PhD. We had this kind of system where whoever was having their um, Viva exam at the end of PhD, someone would make a cake for them. Um, And there's kind of a rotor. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, I can make cakes. Sure, it can't be that hard. It was an absolute disaster, the first one I made. By attempt three, we had a cake. And then I was like, I'm scared if this is edible. I mean, everyone was very polite and did eat a cake number three, but oh no, I, I'm not a baker. You can't be good at everything, right? <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, I most certainly have. My... Yeah, I'm not even going to go there. Um, that's the best thing about being the host and talking about other people, which you can skip yourself. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's um... okay. All right, we'll flip it over then. So for did someone actually produce something that was like heavenly like for their viva or something or 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 maybe that you've tried from someone else a bit of bacon from someone else yeah uh, so some of the phd students cakes were incredible they used to theme them around whatever the project of the student oh, was that. so there was one that was like a full like radio sound, like a little weather balloon oh. that was made. And oh, there's others where people had made the Southern Ocean on a cake or Antarctica out of icing. There's some very talented bakers in the Met Department. I was just not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, th- I think, I think I'm, I'm cutting on to what's going on here. I think this is a bit of bribery to help them pass surely it's like like hmm, we're on a knife edge whether you're whether you've challenged whether you've defended your phd or not um here's some cake yeah right you're good (laughs) 
we get we get the four ninety nine wine out of the <laughs> cake as well, just to seal the deal. <laughs> Absolutely, and just just for listeners who are not sure what this process is, in case you've never been for it, so a, v, a viva or a viva, depending on how you pronounce it, I, I kind of fluctuate between the two. Um, it can happen at undergrad level, so where maybe you're a couple of percent out of the next grade above, um, which was a shame for me, Hannah, because I got I got a two one, which I got sixty seven percent. So, which was really oh. good, but it, that was one percent of UEA's criteria at the time to have a viva to see if I can get it up to a first. So that was a shame, but never mind. And then when you've got when you do your postgraduate and your PhD and stuff, that kind of stuff is where you've got to like talk about the work that you've been doing. You've got to, you know, be challenged on it. You get evaluated, a bit of critical thinking and stuff like that. And then for everyone to be satisfied that you've done an amazing job. That's really the basics, really. Yeah. It's there's a little bit more complexity to that, but that's really what it was. It's just basically talking good about your stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And just checking you did it as well, I think, is the main thing that someone yeah, did it do really it for is, you. Yeah. It's very rare that anyone doesn't pass it or doesn't successfully defend their PhD. So because especially the people, you know, they they're very aware of all the process that's gone on behind the scenes over those absolutely. so many years. Right. Oh, we are coming towards the end of our chat. Hannah, which is a big shame. So we're going to move on to the last um, bit, which we which we call we are all geographers, because as we've we've alluded to quite a fair bit during this chat, actually, that even if someone listens to this doesn't identify as a geographer themselves, there's so much linked into it. Like we went in, we ended up talking about knitting, <laughs> for example, which was amazing. So um, what we do is that we get each guest to link themselves to each other by coming up with a word that we tried to link to geography. So last episode, we had Stephen Schwab who had to link the word feminism to geography, which was set by Katie Water the episode before. For you, Hannah, Stephen has come up with the word faith. So what we need to do is that we are going to, I'm going to put 30 seconds on the clock and you've basically just got to talk as much as you can about faith in a geographical sense. And Stephen was quite clear that it doesn't have to be religion with a big R, religion with, it doesn't even have to be religion with a small R, it could be scientific faith, it could be whatever it is, but just how can we link faith to geography and you've got 30 seconds to riff as much you like. Do you want some time to think about it or are we going to... No, let's, let's go for it, go let's for see it. what happens. Right, <laughs> your 30 seconds are coming up, ready, go. Okay, faith. Um, so first thing that comes to me is you think about these big biblical weather events you know like tsunamis or in a lot of um religious texts they talk about like parting of rivers and things which maybe aren't that physical but you know interesting geographically but i think faith in a more spiritual way often people associate it with beautiful places right like trekking and finding remote buddhist temples or um i think you nailed it i think you nailed it yeah yeah it's there are so many different facets you can go into that as well yeah and a lot of people's yeah going to places and landscapes and almost feeling that that's a spiritual experience in itself you know pilgrimages and things yeah Yeah, there is so much i think we could go into that one it's it's a it's what we're finding hannah is many people have have got too much to say rather than not enough Uh (laughs) so that's a good word like that was a good word thank you Stephen, for that right then hannah so um, now's the time for you to come up with a word for our next guest. And our next guest is going to be um, Helen Young, who's a who's a geography teacher. So can you come up with something the most challenging you can possibly? Uh, let's think of a, 
obscure, like a trampoline. <laughs> yes, we're going back down <laughs> to the absolute crazy and bonkers and wonderful now because we started off with something kind of tangible and then mm. we went to the abstract and now we're coming back to just bonkers and crazy, which I love it. Excellent. And, I uh, mean, geography teacher, she's going to be pretty good at this, right? So you going to make it hard. Knowing Helen, she won't have a problem with this. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So, Hannah, um, a couple of last things to, to wrap up then. Um, if people are interested in following you, because they they like, oh, Hannah sounds a really interesting person. I'd like to follow the work that she does. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, Twitter is the best place to find me, HC Bloomfield19. Um, yeah, that's the only one I use very much, to be honest. Um, but I'm quite active on Twitter. I find it a great resource. So, yeah, find me there. Awesome. And any shout outs you'd like to give? We'll, 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 I guess we'll start off with your fiance who kind of gave a little bit of technical help at the start. Yeah, shout out to Leo for um, working out how to get the headphones to work. <laughs> Scientists still can't use kit, it turns out. Uh, shout out to all my colleagues at Reading. Haven't seen you for ages. Yeah, me neither. Listen. Yeah, look forward to seeing you and my old colleagues at UEA. Hopefully get to see all of you soon. Yeah, and Hannah, obviously, when everything all, all, all uh, picks up again and you're in the Norwich area again visiting friends, you know, make sure you give us a shout and we'll, we'll have a, an actual proper coffee stroke tea over yes. over a table rather than over over the uh, digital ether <laughs> oh that'd be lovely yeah it'd be great to see you hannah thank you so much for joining me this morning and it's just been an absolute lovely lovely excuse to just catch up as well so thank you so much thank you for having me thank you so much for listening we hope you had fun if you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favourite podcast app. If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPod and send us a DM. Or you could email coffeeandjog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep geogging.